Today, what we're doing is we're continuing a sermon series. It's called God's Heart for the World. And what we're going to look at is, uh, we're gonna, you can pull that slide up. Uh, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told about a woman who lost something. Uh, but he's going to frame it and help us understand what's really important to God. Really, he told it to prove a point about what was really precious to him, and it's a caring concern that might seem like a bit of a lost cause uh, in the world today. So let's, uh, let me say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump right into the, the scripture here so you can forward the slide. Lord, um, thank you that you... Uh, <laughs> That, that you love us so much, and thank you for the, the, the fresh air that we're breathing today, and we thank you for all the things that we take for granted. We, we really do. We are truly gifted uh, in many ways, uh, even with simple things. So thank you, God, for, um, for the small things and the big things, like lungs and the ability to relate and love one another. Thank you for um, all the marriages that are uh, particularly in this church and that are represented here, uh, we pray a bless. I pray a blessing on those marriages, God, that they truly would feel a sense of refreshment and new life and new, a new breath of fresh air. Um, and uh, we ask God, anyone's here, maybe visiting for the first time, or just needs a sense of of relief and peace in your life, that your your spirit would rest upon each of us and each of them uh, right now as we look at your word. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the, um, the story today comes from the book of Luke, which is a gospel. It's a historical narrative written about the life of Jesus in which he told a story. Okay, he tells a series of three stories, uh, and we're going to look at Luke 15, verses 8 to 10. But before we do that, some context. Jesus is responding to some criticism that the religious leaders were dishing out. They're always dishing out all this criticism about Jesus. And uh, here's the context. Luke 15, verse 1. You can pull it up. Uh, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, who were the uh, teachers, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus had this habit of hanging out with all the wrong people, at least according to these leaders. And the tax collectors, they were the extortionists of the day. They're the ones who uh, created the Ponzi schemes to to rake people for their money. They're the ones who took your money when they shouldn't have taken it. So uh, you might feel that some type of way about some people. But they're people who didn't, the sinners, were basically people who didn't live according to God's word. And it doesn't say specifically what it was, but you could probably have in mind a group of people, maybe think about some a group of people in school uh, or a group of people in society today who you would think of the sinners. Does anyone have any trouble thinking of anyone? If you, if you are, you can just, just go out on Route 23 for a couple minutes and you'll be good to go. There's people who drive like sinners, I would, I would say, and I sometimes in my response, which I've said before, may act like one myself. But Jesus is telling these stories to religious leaders who have this perspective of these groups of people, what were referred to as sinners. And so he tells a series of stories directed to these leaders to help teach them something very important. So there's three stories he tells. You may be familiar with the story. The first one's about a lost sheep. The second one's about a lost coin. And then there's the lost son. And we're going to look at that middle story uh, that he talks about the coin there. So Luke 15, verse 8. Let's, let's take a look. Suppose a woman, or suppose a woman, he's telling the second story, has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way I tell you, there was rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, you know, when I think of 10 silver coins, I think about those little booklets. Do you remember those little blue books that you would open up and kind of put the coin in for every year? You remember those things? So I think that's what comes to mind, but it wasn't quite like that. It's not just collector's items. These 10 silver coins uh, were actually a pretty big deal. They, this, they didn't have Bank of America back then. You didn't have your big savings accounts, your 401ks. There's nothing like that. These silver coins were, in fact, most likely her life savings. But it was actually more than that. Most likely it was more than life, her life savings. It was her dowry uh, that would be given uh, to, to a husband, to the family that she would start. And in fact, it's even more significant than that one commentator, several commentators said, and it's, it's probably pretty accurate, that what the women would do is they would take those silver coins and, and put them into a necklace and put them around their neck. So not only would it be a beautiful adornment, but it, what it was, it was a very clear advertisement to the men saying, hey, I'm available. You can have this and you can have all this. And so to have one missing would be like, you know, I don't want that. Like, There's something wrong over there. So it's a very nice uh, perspective on why this might be important to this woman. So in fact, losing it, it would be the equivalent of like losing a diamond engagement ring, or actually even more so because it had something meaningful for her life and the future of her life. So this is, would be absolutely devastating to lose even just one of these coins. And so of course, she would do everything she could. She would you know, light a lamp, tear apart her closet in her room, and, and when, if she did, and when she did find it, it would certainly be worth celebrating. It's something that you're so excited about. The first thing you said when you're talking to your neighbor, your friend, is like, listen, I found the coin. I found it, I found it, I'm so excited. So now she's, she's ready to go. And if you're curious what happened to us, uh, I, we believe, and we're not sure, you know, with the diamond engagement ring, we never, we never actually found it. Um, we thought it might have actually been stolen. So it was, it was a little bit of a rough situation. But in, we, since we live in modern-day America, insurance did pay like 60% of it. And we got a, one of those lab-grown diamonds, which are really, they're conflict-free, which is amazing. And it's just as beautiful and just as wonderful as the first one. So we're, we've, it was found, so to speak. But we're, we're, uh, we're enjoying. And if you want to take a look, go ahead. But Jesus here... He's making the point, you could kind of come away from this passage, or people could come away from this passage just think, thinking, oh, there's two groups of people. Where the, there's the found people and the lost people. And the emphasis isn't so much on the lostness, like there's this category of people who are lost, which to some degree is true. The, the, really, the emphasis here that Jesus is saying through this story is the value that every single person has, no matter whether they are lost or whether they are found. That every single person, no matter how sinful they may seem, are absolutely valuable to God. Absolutely valuable. No matter who they are, there is a preciousness that has a deep, meaningful, relational aspect to it. This is personal. This is something very personal for God. And by telling this story and understanding some of that context, we get an understanding of, of, of how Jesus is really in challenging the enti entire value system that these religious people had at the time. So let me ask you the question then. So if you think of that group of people, the sinners, right? When you think of those sinners, whoever they might, they might be in your mind or how you've experienced your life, what do you see? Do you just see people who are just ruining the world? 
Or do you see, as Jesus is saying, people who are absolutely precious to God and in his sight? You know, we often, I know I do, often lose sight of that. When there's a group of kids that treat my children, for example, poorly, I have a hard time initially feeling and thinking towards them that, oh, these children who treated my children in such a way are so precious in my sight. That is not the first thought. However, to God, according to Jesus, that is how God looks at people, all people. No matter how sinful, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, God cares deeply about these people. And I think God would challenge us, those of us who consider ourselves to be people of God, whether we have the same value and see the preciousness in every single person, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, no matter how they present themselves, that this is the heart that God has for us. And understanding this needs to start in our heart. It does need to start in our hearts. And I believe that's what God is asking us today, is to look inside our hearts and see, do you value, do you see the preciousness, the way that I see people? And if there is perhaps maybe judgment or condemnation or bitterness, that's something we need to start, in order to capture God's heart, we need to bring those things before God and turn away from them so that he can begin to work in our lives and help us participate with him in seeking out those he loves as well. So Jesus, he goes on, he tells this story. So he, he tells this story about the lost, he tells the lost sheep, tells the story about the lost coin we just looked at. And then he tells this amazing story about the lost son or the prodigal son, which is probably one of the most famous parables of all. And essentially, if you're not familiar with that story, a son rebels against his noble father, um, basically giving them the finger and saying, I wish you dead. And ruins everything and comes back begging. And the father, to the consternation of the older son, welcomes him with open arms and loves him and just rejoices and throws this entire feast and festival so that he can come back into the family again. So I actually had um, an experience... Uh, I would say about 10 years ago at this point, um, of the, the pain that it causes a father, particularly in the lostness, when their son goes astray. Now, my son was actually, uh, it was one of the, well, the youngest one, we'll just say that. <laughs> I mean, he was two years old, so he can't, he just, you know, it's not too embarrassing. But he's two, three years old, about that, and he, he's an adventurous person. So he, he decided to, whatever reason, I don't know, he was, he's pretty smart too. So I think he un, we had a fenced-in yard, but he somehow unlatched it and went wandering off into the neighborhood, unbeknownst to us. I think, you know, Jess and I were home, we are like, I don't know, making dinner or something, and we realized he's missing. He's not here. And we happened to live on a major road, uh, 252, so cars whizzed by probably 40, 50 miles an hour, driving like sinners, of course. And he, something bad could happen. So we were freaking out. And the best way I can describe the way I felt is kind of a combination of panic, um, wanting to throw up, and absolutely losing myself. It's kind of like what people feel when I ask them if they want to do a CrossFit workout. Like, hey, listen to... Uh, but it's that kind of feeling, and I... I just went berserk, and we went. We were searching everywhere. We got the neighbors involved. They're like, "Hey, Jerry, come on!" Like, there's neighbors that were just, you know, maybe we didn't know them as well, but we're just like, hey, "Let's let's find our kid." And so, thanks be to God, one of the neighbors actually helped us find him, and he was fine. He's good. No, no, not hit by any cars in 252. Thanks be to God. 
But imagine, okay, so let's take a break. So imagine if we went up to our neighbors and they said, and I would say, listen, our son is missing. Can you please help us find him? Imagine if, if one of the neighbors said, well, I can't help you, but I'll, how about we sing a song about finding your son? And then I went to another neighbor and said, well, now I can give some money towards, you know, helping you find your son. Or, you know, no, uh, you know, how about we just uh, study a book about finding lost sons? I think that would be an appropriate response there. Or, you know, how could you be so irresponsible? Your son is dumb for getting lost. He shouldn't, you know, he should know better than to, to wander off. I mean, could you imagine, like, what you would be, if you're a parent, put yourself in that situation, you imagine yourself taking care of somebody, and that's the way they respond, you just would blow a gasket. I mean, you just, you just couldn't handle yourself. That, but however, isn't that the way that many of us respond when we see situ- the, the, the reality of what Jesus is describing here? is that we don't have the same heart. We don't have the same perspective. He just wants you to go and look. He just wants us to go and look and find and seek with a heart of desperation that a father has when he loses his precious son, so precious to this. And the means by which you find it, it doesn't matter. It's, if something is so valuable and important to you, you will do anything you can to find them. And that's the way I felt in that moment with my son. I would do anything. And there have been other moments where kids are missing in a crowd or something, and in that moment, God, I would give my left arm. I would do anything right now to find him. Just that sense of panic that you have as a parent. And that's the way God's heart feels towards us and towards those who are lost. Actually telling people, actually engaging with people with the good news of Jesus is how God has chosen in this world to bring people who are far apart from him into relationship. With him, you know, we share uh, we share God's heart, and He wants to share His heart with us. Um, but as I had mentioned before, it does seem to be a little bit of a lost cause. I want to share just two statistics with you. So, Lifeway Research, that's run by Ed Stetzer, but he he estimates that less than three in ten unchurched Americans, twenty nine percent, say that a, a follower of Jesus or a Christian has ever shared with them about Jesus. And then Barna. Uh, which is a famous uh, research group, they indicate that almost half of millennials agree that it's somewhat wrong to share your personal beliefs about Jesus with someone. So there's this, this whole mindset today that looks at this completely different than the way Jesus does. Heart, God's heart burns to see his lost children come back into relationship with him. And when they do, he rejoices. I love that picture of that rejoicing woman. You found it. I found it. And listen, if you, if you love something, you can't help but share it. See, that's what, it's the same way with you. If you love a TV show, you're going to be talking about the TV show. You know, they say, <laughs> I, I hope I don't do this, but they, there's an ongoing saying that says, do you know how, if, how you know if someone does CrossFit? They tell you. They, they, you know, like CrossFit people always talk about doing CrossFit, you know. So people will naturally share what they love and what they value. And that's the same way with, is with Jesus. If we really love Jesus, if we have his heart, we will tell other people because that's what we're thinking about. That's what burns in our hearts. That's what our passion is. And when people, the beloved children, come back, there is rejoicing like never before. You know, in an actual real spiritual emotional sense, and many of you know and we've talked about this, I've talked about this even from, from up front here. When my daughter, this was, last, it was almost exactly a year ago, almost to the day, maybe this week, uh, we celebrated my daughter's graduation 
uh, and her birthday kind of together, and we had this party, and almost was like this prodigal son. She had gone on this terrible rebellion, terrible things. She did terrible things. Terrible things were done to her, and it was like this return and the sense of joy and celebration that I had, that Jess and I had as her parents was incredible. Uh, congratulations to Gabby, by the way, for graduating. So you can give her a round of applause. I have to say that. So it's wonderful. So it's like a graduation party. It's like a party where the heart of the father celebrates. There's just so much joy that God has when people return to him because that's the thing that he cares about most. The thing that God, that burns in the heart of God. What does God care about? He cares about people. The people have a relationship with him that are restored with him that he can live with forever who they can, starting now and into eternity, have this eternal kind of life that, that Jesus often talked about. All right, so that's kind of the main point. Hopefully you kind of see what Jesus is saying there. So what is our response? So firstly, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're unsure of your relationship with God, the first thing you need to know is what Jesus describes in this passage here. The picture that he has of a of a father seeking out a lost son or the, the woman searching is that God passionately loves you, that you hold God's heart. And he panics. He, he's horrified when you are separate from him. And so you have to understand that God loves you, cares about you deeply, and I want and is pursuing a relationship with you right now. But also I want you to understand this, and this is where we see how Jesus interacts with the, the, the religious leaders is that just because you think you might have a good relationship with God, or just because you think you're a good person, or just because you might go to church or pray regularly or you do good things in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean you actually have a saving relationship with God. See, the religious leaders, they thought that they were good. They thought they did a lot of good things. They thought they did everything right. They think they had the corner on the market, on the religious market, and yet very clearly... Again and again, like in this, this picture here, Jesus is telling them they are not. They are, in fact, physically close, but spiritually separated from God. See, there's no amount of good things or goodness that you can have by yourself, in and of yourself, to make your, right, your way right before God. There's no amount of religious practices that you can do, no number of prayers, no number of going to church, no number of helping poor people, no number of any amazing things that you can do that will make you right with God again the way that we be, are made right with God is what Jesus says in this very passage. It's what he says at the end is he rejoices when one sinner, what? Repents. It's through repentance that we come into relationship with God. And so you, I just want to tell you, if you're not sure of your relationship with God, there needs to come at some point in your life a recognition is that you're going in the wrong direction and that you're a sinner, that we all, Jesus is speaking about all of us here. We're all sinful. And you need to recognize, listen, my way is not gonna get me into a relationship with God. It's only through what Jesus has done for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that invitation that he gives each person. And it's by turning back. What repentance simply is, is a change of your mind and change of your life. It's not just one aspect. of it. It's like your entire life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are fully submitted and turned to, to God 
in, in, a, in an offering in gratitude for his love. It's like, I offer myself fully and ultimately to you. That's what repentance is. It's not just doing a little good thing or praying a little prayer. It's a life that is turned and oriented toward pursuing being part of God's family and pursuing his purposes in the world. And so if you want to know, really know how one of the signs, there's the fruits of the Spirit, that the Spirit's at work, but one of the signs that you're in love with Jesus, that you have a really strong connection with Jesus is, is that you want to share and you do actually share Jesus with other people. You share what you love. If you love Jesus, you will share Jesus with other people. It's just like a math problem. It's, not, it's like if you add two and three, you get five. At the same way, if you do love Jesus, you will do what he says. So that's what Jesus said. In fact, if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey what I command. He's not giving a command as such, you have to do this. He's more saying, this is the logic. If you really are in love with me, you'll make my love known to other people. That's the way it works. And if we have God's heart, and we, we are excited about Jesus, we have his heart for other people, we will naturally want to want to share God and the good news of Jesus and his kingdom with with other people. So what can we do? Well, um, one of the ways we can do that, if you're, maybe you're listening today in Jesus' words, uh, does get, ha, you have this faith-based conviction that you want to share and you want God's love and his preciousness for people to permeate your heart and into the lives of others. What does it look like to join with Jesus in the search? So there's what you can do. I want to talk about two, two ways to do that. There's kind of personal and more uh, corporate. But I want to start by just sharing a few uh, biblical yet practical ideas that have been helpful for me that I think you could find helpful as well. Firstly, is you can pray. When we pray, God works in our hearts. So how do we actually get the heart right is in prayer and regularly praying for people. So what I do is I have a list that I put in my Bible and I pray regularly for those people that are on, on that list. And as I do so, I ask for God's blessing on them. I ask for God's work in their hearts. I ask for God to create opportunities for them to share. And interestingly enough, just one of those groups in, that I was praying for this morning, um, I had, there's a family that we connected with through um, our son's soccer team. And I was praying for them and God had put them on my mind to pray for. And then minutes later, and this was just this morning, my wife comes over and she says, you know, I had this really weird interaction in the parking lot at Kohl's the other day with this, this family. And I was like, why don't you tell me? And it was really awkward. It was really interesting. You could tell her and she can, she can share it to you. But it was just so interesting that there was that connection that was made and God had said basically, hey, here's an opportunity. You can follow through with that opportunity. So the is like as clear Holy Spirit has been working in multiple places. But God worked in prayer. So I encourage you to, to develop a prayer life of praying and asking for God's heart and expressing his love and blessing on people. All right, secondly... You simply have to have authentic relationships with other people who are not in the church. You have to be in relationship with them. You can't just spend all your time with people in the church, so spend all your time with the sheep, so to speak. You have to get out of the pen. You have to be out and about in the world. The salt's got to go out of the salt shaker and into the world. And so one of the ways that we do that, that I do that, is I like, I like to do sports. So I'll connect with people at my gym. I will connect with people on the soccer field, I started playing in a league in, in, in Conchalkin with the, the other families that my sons participate in in soccer as well. There's a lot of activities. Just be, do something. In fact, I would encourage you to do something you enjoy 
but just do it with other people or in the church. And God will, will give you opportunities. Um, another great way to do that is in those contexts is what Jesus was doing with the, the sinners and tax collectors. What was he doing? He was partying. Partying is actually very biblical. It's just a certain kind of partying that you, partying, that you want to steer, steer clear of. But go to lots of parties. You know, I have this rule that it's like a, my own rule of life that I, back in my college days, I learned this lesson. That if, some, if, 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 if I'm available, like if I'm really available, and someone invites to a party, I'm going to go. Because you never know what God can do. It's a, it's, it's, and it's been really fun. I've been partying a lot more in my life. It's just a great way. And, and it's really fun to hang out with people. And God will open up opportunities and connections at parties. Even, people will more often go to a party then they will today, then go to church. I was just talking to a church planner today. He's like, hey, I invite them to church. They don't come to church. I invite them to drink some wine and eat some cheese. They come right over. So it's a great way to connect with people. So, or if you're not getting invited to parties, you can be a party hoster yourself. So throw a party. That's another way you can do it. Some of you guys are really good. There's a lot of hospitable people in our, fam- in our church family here, and you guys are doing a great job. And then, of course, so you can pray, you can party, and then eventually, um, you, you can share as you do. Just all you need to do is like we do. You just share your story. Share your God stories. Just be yourself. Share a moment, if, or if not a story, a moment in time about how God has been working in your life. And you just, you don't have to pretend anything. You can just simply share out of what God's been doing in, your, in you. And if people are interested, they'll want to hear more. If not, they won't. It's very, it's, it can be often that simple. We don't have to make it more complicated than, than it is. What we're doing as we do that and we share generously, we just cast out the seeds and we just see what falls and what starts to grow. We're looking for, um, what we're looking for is where God is at work. And I heard a couple people say this, is that people who have the gift of evangelism are not so much any better at sharing their faith with people. They just have the gift and capacity to recognize the people who are ready to receive a relationship with God. And I, I think that that is often true. Like John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, he could just sense when someone was about to give ready and available. And so all around you, there's people at different stages of development. There's the green tomatoes, but there's also red ripe tomatoes. And if, as you pray, as you pursue, as you party, ask God for a discernment, the gift to be able to see where God is at work. And you don't, this is not about forcing anything. This is actually a lot of fun. And it captures the heart of God and it's full a life as lifestyle full of love. So that's what you can do on a personal level, but you know, it's not something we actually have to do on our own. In fact, most ways of evangelism or sharing our faith can be done together. Um, so something really interesting happened yesterday. And I can't believe this happened the day before. I can believe it because the Holy Spirit likes to leave. But here's what happened. So I was taking my dog, just like any other day, I was taking my dog, Lily, for a nice, nice walk, just minding my own business, and I hear this shouting behind me and a little ding, like a little ringling. And uh, I think there's, there's this man who is um, yelling like, Lucy, Lucy. And that this, he had one of those little white fluffy dogs in his right arm. And there was a dog that just ran, ran by me. On the, she, so it was the opposite side of the street. I was on one side. And this other black dog ran, like was running away. Uh, as, as he was chasing the dog. And he, I mean, he, as he got closer, I couldn't really do anything, or at least I didn't think I could, because I don't know, my dog's a little weird around other dogs, so I didn't want my dog to eat their, this guy's runaway dog. 
<laughs> Plus, uh, yeah, it was sort of awkward, so I couldn't go after it. And he came up, he's like, oh, you just let her run away. And he takes, he takes the dog, and he's sweating. I mean, he is, it seems like he's hyperventilating. I think he was a little bit out of shape. But he, he, was, he was desperate, and he said, can you, well, can you take my dog? So I'm having one dog in one hand, and then the other dog in this hand, I'm like, yes, I will, here. And so he ran after the dog, and he, he tried to run, and the dog, you're not supposed to apparently chase dogs, because they run away, so that was happening, that effect. But he was chasing it, and he, he, he had had, and it was up a hill, it's like this steep hill on Grove Street, and he was, like, he got to the point, he was bent over, he was like, and you could see the desperation. It's almost as if he was crying. I, I think he was so sad. But he looked up and he saw one of the guys in the yellow construction shirts getting out of a truck. And he said, please grab her. Please grab her. And he kept running. And, and the guy, you could tell, he was like a little hesitant. Like, well, I'm going to grab this dog. And, um, but he eventually did. He picked up the dog. And you could see the relief. And he walked over to the guy got the dog, came to me, and, um, and, and he, he said, and I said, listen, sorry, I couldn't, I just had my dog. He's like, I understand, don't worry. But he was just, the sense of relief that you could see in his face of his found, his, found his lost dog. And, um, and he, he went on his way with his, his dog was found. And so I went up, and I walked a few more meters, and off to the right across the street, I said to the guy, the construction worker, I was like, hey, man, yo, good job, bro. And he's like, you know, thanks. I, I didn't really know because I didn't want to get bitten. You know, these little dogs that like to bite you. And I was like, yeah, dude, I, I, under, I understand, man. <clears throat> and I said, well, you did a great job. He's like, you know what? It was a team effort. We all did it. We did it as a team. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I did do a good job holding that white dog. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Sometimes when it comes to evangelism, to finding, it's, it's most of the time it's a team effort. We work together. You need some people to hold the white dog. You need some people to chase after it and cast vision and shout out, show, show the desperation in the heart. And then there's the people who are right there positioned where they can take and just scoop, scoop them up and, and bring them back to where he's, he's meant to be. And so together as a church, it's a team effort. Being able to find people, help them come into a relationship with God is a team effort. So I want to highlight a few ways to do that. We've done that. See, Jesus, there's two ways, basically. As we finish up, here's the two ways that I see in Scripture. There's the, there's the go and tell, and then there's the come and see. The go and tell, very biblical. Luke 10, Matthew 10, sends out the 72 or 12. Go and tell. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. And we, we go in the streets. We do that kind of stuff. We go into the streets of Conchahawk, and we do that several a couple times a year. On uh, September 16th, we're going to go to the Country Fun Fest, uh, and beginning of June, we're going to do that. Uh, we, we do that. We're going to do that. I'm going to tell you now ahead of time, a year in advance, at the last weekend of April, we're doing something, the big day to serve. We're going to partner with churches all across our area, and we're going to have opportunities to partner with people and serve our community and invite friends to come do that with us. So that, that's happening. But then, so there's the, 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 go, um, the go and tell approach. And then there's the come and see. And that's Philip. If you are in John 1, Philip introduced Nathaniel. He said, come and see. And the woman at the well, Jesus had this amazing interaction with her. And what did the woman, she went and told the town, she said, come and see. So there's a come and see approach as well. So we want to invite people to come and see, whether it's a small group or Sunday services. We're always going to talk about Jesus. We're going to have something encouraging or on point about what Jesus says and teaches where people can hear the good news of Jesus. And this is always an opportunity week to week, but we have several days throughout the year, like Christmas 
and our anniversary, which is coming up uh, September 10th, Easter. We'll probably have uh, summer barbecue or events coming out, but these are opportunities to, that you can say, come and see. You can come and participate and see for yourself. And as we do, and one of the things I think you, want, you should be aware of is that we're extending our digital reach to help people who are, who are looking for God to find us as well so that we can share with them the good news of Jesus. You know, if we do this and it works, what's going to happen is that we're going to just want to give you a heads up. Okay, so we've been trying to do this for a while and we're still trying to get some traction and help more and more people come to know Jesus. But if it works and starts accelerating, at some point, if, if God were to do that in our midst, you have to know that with, with that kind of growth, with that kind of new people coming in, is that it makes life a little bit harder because people need time to grow. People don't come in all perfect and neat and tidy and like perfect, happy, shining people. That's, that's not how, how it works. It takes time to help people grow. And so people come in with different worldviews, different perspectives, different childhood wounds, different attitudes. And it takes time as we gently walk and love people into the kingdom step by step and help them walk the pathway of transformation and growth. And that's what we're, we're here, here to do is to help the people along Route 23 experience and live the reality of Psalm 23 where Jesus is their shepherd and more and more every aspect of our life becomes more submitted to Jesus and under his peaceful rule and reign. But if it, it's going to, so if that happens, just, just a heads up, it's going to be more work. It might be more headache. But if people are precious to God, to us, it is worth, it is worth any amount of effort in eternity. The small amount of suffering or difficulty we may experience here is, is, is worth the eternal weight of glory that waits for us as we pursue God and his kingdom. So let's close in prayer. I want to, as we pray and hope and expect God to do good things in our midst and express his heart through us, let's, let's pray and just take a moment to pause um, and let God to continue to speak. So at the end of our service, we just give space for the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us. And uh, maybe he'll share something with you. Maybe a person will come to mind or a place to go that you can express God's love or where you can do that. So Holy Spirit, we just take a moment here to pause and allow you to help us process what you might be saying to us and our part in all of this. Do a work in our hearts right now. So I'm going to, like I said, I'll, I'm going to be silent for, for a moment.